long-dead mother had been, had always been aristocratically nervous and frail. Lila Lee Peyton had, indeed, died of that frailty at Peyton's birth. Chloe did not even mind that her own grandson, eight-year-old Boot, was the third member of the Losers Club. Boot had been born with a club foot and was still too young to be left alone, so Chloe had been bringing him to work with her ever since he was two, when his own mother vanished to be seen no more in Lytton. Chloe was grateful that Boot had a place to go afternoons for a couple of hours so that she could prepare the McKenzie supper in peace. To most of Lytton, Boot affected a close, mulish, sullen, subservient demeanor that demanded no engagement by any onlooker. But with Chloe and Peyton and Ernie, he was himself, a bright, sweet-tempered, fatalistic child who was older and wiser by eons than his tender years. Boot was always that last one to appear at Losers Club meetings because his infirmity slowed him down, and the tool shed lay at the far end of the garden. He had a hard time threading his way through the virulent green maze. They could hear the clump scrape of his heavy leather boot on the gravel path long before his cheerful, caramel face appeared in the doorway. It gave them time to change the subject if they had been talking about him or some topic that might be offensive to him. In Lytton, Georgia, in 1961, there were many of those, though in truth Boot would not have been offended if they had reached his flaring Dumbo ears. No one else in Lytton, black or white, thought to spare the tender sensibilities of a silent, gimpy little Negro boy. Wise, pragmatic Boot did not mind. He knew that Peyton and Ernie edited their conversations sometimes when he approached. His ears were as keen as his foot was useless. He appreciated the gesture of the stopped conversations, though, and always pretended that he had not the faintest idea what they had been talking about. All right, he would pipe, heaving himself down on the ottoman and breathing deeply from negotiating the garden of inspiration. Who done the dumbest thing today? Peyton McKenzie changed her name when she was six years old, on the first day of her first year in elementary school. For all her short life, she had been called Prilla, or sometimes Priscilla, her first name. The latter usually when she was in trouble. But that stopped with rock-like finality when the first scabby classmate began to chant, Prilla, Prilla, mother killer. By the time the entire first grade in the Lytton Grammar School had taken up the refrain, Peyton McKenzie had been born, and there was no chance at all that she would return to the womb. It's a man's name, for heaven's sake, Priscilla. Her Aunt Augusta said in exasperation for the fourth or fifth time after Peyton's father had given up on her. Peyton is my middle name, Peyton muttered. It's as much mine as Priscilla. Both she and Augusta McKenzie knew there would be no changing of Peyton's mind. But Augusta saw it as her duty as the dominant woman in Peyton's life to do battle with the granite streak of willfulness in her niece. On the death of Peyton's mother at her birth... Fraser McKenzie had tacitly placed the day-to-day -day shaping and pruning of his daughter in his sister-in-law's hands. By the time of Peyton's first great rebellion, aunt and niece were old and experienced adversaries. Each knew the other's strengths and vulnerabilities. Augusta McKenzie knew full well she wasn't going to win this one. But she would never know why, because Peyton never told anyone about the cold, whining little chant at school that morning, not until much later, and none of the other children would tell either. Only Peyton remembered, 
each day of her life and deep in her smallest cell that she had indeed killed her mother. If her father never so much as hinted to her that he held her undistinguished being responsible for the extinguishing of the radiant flame her mother had been, Peyton put it down to Fraser Mackenzie's natural reticence. He had been, all her life, as politely remote as a benign godparent. He was so with everyone, except Peyton's older brother, Buddy. When Buddy died in an accident in his Air Force trainer, when Peyton was five, Fraser Mackenzie closed up shop on his laughter, anger, small foolishnesses, and large passions. Now, at twelve, Peyton could remember no other father than the cooled and static one she had. Her father seemed to remember her only intermittently. She told the Losers Club about the name change on a February day when it seemed as if earth and air and sky were all made up of the same sodden gray cloth. Ernie had been so petulant that Boot had told him to shut up if he didn't have anything to add to the day's litanies of inanities in the basement. Even Boot seemed more dutiful than enthusiastic over his contribution to the club's itinerary. A lusterless account of wiping out the candidate children's hopscotch grid with his orthotic boot. Well, if I couldn't do better than that, I just wouldn't say anything, Ernie sniffed affronted. You ain't said anything. Boot pointed out, and I just assume you didn't. You as mean as an old setting hen today. Payne's gonna have to come up with something really fine and make up for you. Two pairs of cool eyes turned toward her. Peyton, who had planned to recount the deliberate serving to her of the last helping of tepid turnip greens in the school lunch line, while a steaming pot of spaghetti and meat sauce awaited those behind her, swiftly changed her mind. I killed my mother, she said her heart beating hard with the sheer daring of it, and the first opening of the pit of that old pain. The others were silent, looking at her. She looked back, feeling for an instant only the heedless joy of a great coup. "'You ain't neither,' Boots said finally. "'You flatter yourself,' Ernie said. But they knew they were bested by a long shot. "'I did, too,' Peyton said. "'She died not a day after I was born,' She bled to death. Everybody knows that. I've always known it. Then why didn't you say? Boot asked. He was having a hard time relinquishing his sultancy of humiliation. You'd have only said I was showing off. Ernie, you did say it. And not only did I kill her, but when I was in first grade, I changed my name to Peyton because the kids were singing a song about Prilla, Prilla, Mother Killer, and I made it stick, too. She folded her arms over her thin chest and looked at them complacently. Nobody was going to touch her on this day, and perhaps not on any of the following ones. Well, I guess she certainly must have had a fleeting moment of deathbed regret for her actions nine months before, Ernie said in elaborate distaste. What do you mean? Peyton said. She could feel her crown slipping away from her. He means he bet she saw her. She fucked your daddy on the night she got you. Boots said, his good humor restored. Yeah, man, that was one sorry fuck. That was a killer. My mother did not fuck, Peyton said, her face flaming with the audacity of the spoken word as well as the sheer idiocy of it. Of course her mother had fucked. Here she sat, didn't she, on this gray day, years distant from the fatal fucking. 
Peyton knew what fucking was. You could not live in a small southern town in deep farm country in the company of strapping bus kids from the farms who not only knew what it was, but were actually doing it and not know. It was just that she did not know how it was accomplished and simply could not imagine. Well, if she didn't fuck, you must have been the result of an immaculate conception, and from what I hear, it was way too late for that, Ernie said snidely. What are you talking about? Peyton said, knowing she was going to hate whatever she would hear. Nothing. Forget I said anything. Everybody knows your mama was a saint, Ernie said, and would say no more. He picked up the inferno. Meeting adjourned, he said coldly. I have better things to do than sit around with infants and talking about fucking. They watched him for a couple of minutes, but he did not look up, and finally Boots said, Come on, Peyton. He just mad because you outdone him. Let's go to your house. Ma'am, I'll go and make apple butter this afternoon, only I ain't supposed to know it. At the edge of the gravel sidewalk that gave over to the front walk of Peyton's house, he looked up at her. You really kill your ma? he said. I really did. Holy shit, if that ain't something, Boots said, and he clumped into the house in search of forbidden fruit. Tell me about my mother, she said to Chloe the next morning at breakfast. It was Saturday, but Fraser McKenzie had already gone out to the office above the garage, and Peyton was heavy with the shapeless hours ahead of her. There was no losers club on Saturday. I done told you about your mama a million times, Chloe said but she said it softly. She had long sensed that the private mythology Peyton had spun around her mother was as necessary to her as air and food. Well, tell me again...